There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. It's another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is someone you probably haven't seen or heard from. He hasn't made the insurance podcast circuits. I uh, was privileged enough to be in the audience when he was on stage delivering a presentation to the Big Eye of Michigan back in February. Shout out to Jared Burkhart and the team at Big Eye Michigan for uh, putting these two energetic dudes in a room together. He is Mr. Arel Moody. Uh, he is a TEDx speaker. Uh, he is a recognized author and expert on uh, adult development theory, which we will get all the way into in this episode Arel, thanks for coming on, man. Oh my gosh, listen, whenever I can be on a podcast with someone who has the visual setup that you have, if you are only listening to the audio version of this podcast, you need to go look up the video that James has because his setup is fantastic. Man, you, you are too kind. I really appreciate it. A, a lot of folks have seen our YouTube content so that they know the nice little blue and red we've got going on back here. Uh, but that's, uh, yeah, you, you're very kind. Enough about me. I'd love to, to, to get this thing started off with just a little bit of, of background on you. You are a public speaker. You are a, a researcher. You call yourself a motivational speaker and a life coach on your website, Arel Moody. That's A-R-E-L Moody, M-O-O-D-I-E.com if you guys are interested in learning more about Arel. How do, you, uh, how do you present yourself, man? What's your story? How'd you get to this chapter in your life, man? Yeah, so the, the background of it is entrepreneurship became kind of my, my saving grace, if you will, like getting into that, that space. But that's not how it started. To, yep. Typically, when you need to do some type of freedom jumping, you've got to jump from something. And the thing that yep. I needed to jump from was I grew up in the projects um, on welfare. I grew up in an environment where I saw the first person get shot and killed when I was in junior high school, second person get shot when I was in high school. I've had friends who grew up in the exact same community as me, really close, same school system. And, you know, they went to prison and they were murdered. And it, it was it was an environment that I knew this is where I started, but it's not going to be where hopefully I, I end. And definitely if I ever raised kids, which I do have children now, I remember thinking at a young age. I wanted to be able to give my kids the the childhood experience that I didn't have. Now, in full transparency, mm. I had lots of great things, you know, so the environment was tough for sure. But I've got a mother and a father and a brother who love me. I've got a great, great, like nuclear family that that cared for me. 
We just happen to be in that environment and that's what it was. So for me, the desire to figure out how to get out of it and my my interest in understanding humans and how we think and how we act originally was purely a survival mechanism. I learned if I go to this side of town, bad things happen. I learned that if this person is smiling, they're happy and bad things won't happen. If this person's not smiling or if you say these things, this is what triggers people. So in the beginning, my 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 interest in how humans behave was purely just to make it from Monday to Tuesday. As I got older, I was able to actually apply those to a lot more business contexts and a lot more entrepreneurial contexts that allowed me to build different businesses, take them to over you know seven figures in revenue and things like that. So I think the survival and the mess, if you will, actually is what created the skill set for the turnaround and success, if you will, um, that I'm very, very grateful for. So I think for for any of us, when we look at our story, it's very easy to look at the things that happened to us and say, that's the exact reason why I can't make it, where I think if you look at it from a different perspective, you always build a skill set. You always build a survival mechanism to get through anything that's tough. And that mechanism, that skill might just be the thing that makes you more successful than you would have been without it. There's something very interesting that is a common thread of anybody that I have ever come across who had a rough childhood, you know, grew up in a, a difficult living situation. And I love that you have a, a solid nuclear family because, I mean, having a mom and a dad at home uh, is, is such an important thing for every kid in every community uh, in our country and, and across the world. The, the grit, the resilience, the, the toughness, the mental toughness, the fortitude that comes from those kinds of beginnings. And you use the word forge. It, it forges this harder person who's able to endure successfully, who's able to be patient and, and stick it out during hard times in pursuit of goals and objectives and missions and vision. What, what do you attribute that to? Was there a, a trigger event of some kind? Was there a mentor in your life that helped you look past your surroundings and see a life beyond that, that allowed you to achieve a vision that you started chasing after? Yeah, so there's there's always light energy and dark energy in my opinion. So there's really dark things that happen to you that you either will will destroy you or become the thing you want to prove will never happen again. So there's one specific moment I can think of that's kind of on the dark light, dark energy side, and then there's the positive, right? So here's the dark side. The dark side is I got uh, I was in fourth grade. I remember it very specifically, and this kid moves into the neighborhood, decides he's going to make a name for himself by beating kids up. And he decides to fight me. And I thought we were friends. We, we hung out for weeks. And all of a sudden, we get into this fight. I didn't want to fight him. He beats me up. Next day, everybody like doesn't want to be my friend. I'm the uncool kid, like night and day. I'm the loser because I got beat up and everyone's making fun of me. And I remember having this like switch that went off inside of me at a very young age that said, I'm going to prove all of them wrong. I'm going to prove mm. that every single one of them for turning their back on me, for thinking I'm a loser, I'm going to show them they are wrong. So that's kind of like that dark side of you that like, you know, and again, I could have had that experience and then it crumpled me. And then I said, well, no one loves me. No one cares about me. I lost all my friends. This is stupid. I'm stupid. I'm bad. Right. Which is a very fair response. But for whatever was the the luck, you know, God, whatever it might be, I decided to turn it into like one day you're all going to wish you stayed my friend, right? And I'm going to 
succeed, right? And there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that comes with that kind of like energy and decision making. Um, and then the good side of it was a really fantastic conversation I had with my with my dad at one point. I was going through this really tough time and um, super sad, super depressed. And, you know, I, I would probably assume I was suicidal at that point because I just was feeling really low. It was my early teenage years. And my dad takes me in a car and he drives me to this really nice, really nice neighborhood. And it was one of these moments I'll never forget. I don't even think my dad remembers it, to be honest with you. But it's a moment that like indelibly left a mark on me, which was he showed me beautiful homes and he showed me beautiful cars. And he said, you know, one day if you work hard enough, you can live in a house like that. You can have a car like that. And I remember saying like, dad, like we live in the projects. And, you know, he drove a car that let's just say everything on the car made noise except the horn. You know what I mean? Like it was an old hoop kind of car. And he said to me, you know, we were all given the problems that we were supposed to be given at birth so that we can face them, overcome them, and then become the person that we were truly meant to be. He's like, I can't explain to you why we live where we live. I can't explain to you why these things are what we are. But what I do know for certain is that if you just hold on long enough, on the other side of this, it'll all make sense. And that Mm. was this weird moment where something clicked in me again, where I started saying to myself, probably unconsciously at the time, like there's a lot of personal development work to kind of articulate these emotions. They happen to us, but we got to be able to like put words to them. So I didn't have these words then, but the words that I have now was I got curious. What, What is the reason I was born here? What is the reason I went through these things? Is it going to cash out and make something better of my life? And maybe I'm quitting too prematurely. So I got to figure out what do I do with this? How do I take this, 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 you know, whatever it might be. Let's say someone's dealing with divorce or they're dealing with childhood trauma or they're dealing with environmental traumas. What if you just hold on long enough and then some type of confluence of events will happen and you'll be like, yo, now I understand why this, 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 this happened. And for me, I, I genuinely think because of my background, my, my appreciation for people, um, one of the things that I wanted to do was understand people so I could survive. But the other thing that I did is I had such empathy for other people because I know what it feels like to have people turn their back on you. I know what it feels like to have people make fun of you. I know what it feels like to have the girl that you would wish would just talk to you, completely disrespect you. And, you know, when you have those negative feelings, you if you create emotion, if you create empathy, you know, I start seeing it in others and I feel what they feel and I want to help. So how do I build the skills? How do I build the abilities to help? And it drives me very much and literally to this day. And that's, that's a little bit more positive energy. Um, but I think dark energy and light energy both play an important role in moving us towards truly jumping into the freedom we want and living the life we want. Hmm. Love it, man. Good stuff there. That is inspirational. That is positive in in every way you could ever ask for from a podcast there. No, that's fantastic. You talked about education being important. Uh, You were in a difficult situation in in the projects and and going through the the public school system in New York City. At what point did you get on a different path educationally that started to expand your horizons and started to cause you to want more for yourself and to see a path of how you might get to be where you've been. And, and for those of you that are uh, wondering when we're going to get to the professional content of, of what Aurel is actually doing out in the marketplace now, we're getting there. I'm indulging some curiosity here because the story is captivating. I, I, I'm locked in right now. I want to know how 
the man that I see here, this incredibly polished, compelling, gifted public speaker, a gifted researcher and author, incredibly hardworking, accomplished person, came from those meager beginnings. So help me understand the educational part of it. Yep. You you leave the projects and then what? Yeah. So it, it was actually, there was a moment when I was 15, right? So this is, this is why I think exposure is so important. So for example, let's say I'm listening to this podcast. You might bring on a guest, maybe it's me, maybe it's someone else that exposes someone to an idea. And then once they're exposed to the idea, they can't ever not be exposed to it, right? So for yeah. me, I think exposure to new ideas, new places is, is, is fundamentally important because when I was 15, um, there was the uh, there was a, a student group at Columbia University that had this really cool thing where they would bring students from the inner city to Columbia for a weekend so that they could experience college life, go to, you know, college, not college parties, but like, like have fun on a college campus, sit in on a college class and hang out with college students. And I did this weekend. It was probably like, you know, I was 15 years old and I forget what it was called. But I remember seeing these college students, these these Columbia University students, and they were so cool. They were like the coolest humans alive. Like I, I just assumed everybody was like a geeky, you know, dorky person. But I was like, yo, these are really cool guys. And they're in Columbia and they're talking about all the things that they're going to do and how they're excited. And they looked like me and they sounded like me and they talked like me, but they had these big aspirations. And I remember after that weekend saying, I belong in a place like this. Like this is this is how I'm gonna get out because I looked at those guys and I still remember the guy's name was Matthias. I don't remember what his last name was, but he was my like student mentor. One day I need to find this guy because he really was like super helpful, but I only know his first name. Uh, so if anyone is named Matthias and you went to Columbia University around 1998, feel free to reach out to me. Maybe maybe you were my my mentor there. Um, but seeing him and seeing that and seeing that environment was the exposure I needed to say this is how I'm gonna get out. So college became my um like focal point because i was like i can't play basketball i can't fight i can't rap i can't do any of the like traditional how you get out the projects things so i was like college would be my way out so i became fully determined to get to college and when i got to college that's where literally everything in my life made a 180. that's where i met my mentor um, in entrepreneurship who's still my mentor to this day it's where i got introduced to entrepreneurship it's where i got introduced to um, psychology and understanding people i met my wife in college i met my best friends in college i met my future business partners in college so literally everything started clicking once i got out of my previous environment into that collegiate environment and I, i've always been confused by people that say that college is the best years of your life I'm just like, it shouldn't well, be. I don't know if you're living, you're not living the, the right kind of life if you peaked at 22. I don't know about you, Aurel, but I was a dipstick at 22. Yeah. I, I was lost beyond measure. I had no idea where my life was headed. Yeah. Didn't understand the value of time or money. Didn't have any idea how to talk to people. It's like, yeah, college is like your springboard. That's right. It's when you learn how to become the person that you're going to be and then set yourself up for long-term success if you do it right. It sounds like you did exactly what you're supposed to do in college and you prepared for the life ahead rather than living in the here and now. It sounds like yeah, you I are was, practicing being a futurist. Yeah, I was very much not the um, party. I went to parties. I was in a fraternity. I went to parties. I threw parties. But I wasn't a party animal, if that makes sense, right? I saw I saw parties as a natural extension of winning the week, right? You work really yeah. hard during the week. You go to schools, president for student organizations, 
right? So like I saw partying as that's the way you win the week, not that's what the week is. Like that's the end, mm-hmm. like that's kind of like the, the the frosting, not the cake, if you will. Yep. So I was super engaged because to me, college was my way out and um, I didn't, I didn't want to waste it. So I was like super you know, studious, you know, I was in the professor's office hours. I was contacting alumni. What did you Man, do? I, like all oh. that. I could see it right now. You were the the stereotype BMOC, the guy who is active in the fraternity, who is in leadership and student organizations for, you just said, really good academically. I mean, we all, everybody who went to college, who had a good college experience, like we all have that guy and that girl in the back of our head. You were that guy on your campus. I, mean, I can that, tell that just from highly debatable. That's highly debatable. You know, I, I did oh, very man. much enjoy college, but there were way cooler, way cooler guys than me. But you have to realize the irony of you saying that. It's a, it's a paradox because by you saying what you just said means that you were even cooler because <laughs> you have a, a self-awareness and a humility that makes you even more charismatic and even more attractive to the general public. Wow. So, man, I love it. It's, it's paradoxical for sure. Um, so you, you go through the college thing and you meet your mentor. You start building all these big long-term relationships what then? How do you go from that chapter of your life to being a, a host of a TV show and getting invited to the White House and standing on TEDx stages? Like, where where is the bridge between those two chapters? Because we're getting to the point. We're about to start talking about what you're currently yeah. working on as a professional. We'll get into it now. Yeah. So what happened was, honestly, it's a book I read, which I'm sure everyone has heard it. And if you haven't, for some strange reason. It's worth reading just to check the box because it's so fundamentally important. I was in college and I was going to visit my girlfriend and uh, she had went abroad for a year. So I literally saved up money, washing dishes to buy a plane ticket to Korea to go see her. And while I was there, Mm. there was a book in her uh, apartment, which was the only book in English. And it was a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So mm. if if no one has heard of this book, please go read it. It's a fun, it's a classic, right? Robert Kiyosaki. And he started yep. talking about how poor people think, how rich people think. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And one of the things that he said was um, rich people think and act in a certain way. So get around those people to see what they do. So I started, when I got back to America, I went to like all the local business owners and was like, yo, how'd you start your business? Like, I want to start a business one day. And then when I was done with each interview, you know, which was very quick, it was just, how'd you start your business? How'd you get the money for it? You know, how did you learn how to get customers? That kind of stuff, Um, which was like questions that I got from the book. I would ask them, do you know someone else you can introduce me to? And they would always say, yeah, talk to this guy who owns a laundromat, talk to this guy who owns a comic book shop. And then one of them said, talk to this guy named Angelo Mastrangelo. He runs the entrepreneurship program at the university. If you don't know him, you should. So I went up to him and I said, hey, I was told to talk to you. You know, love to know about your journey. You know, 70, you know, 70 year old white Italian guy, you know, looks like on the surface, like we would have nothing in common. And he became my closest mentor, you know, so I took his entrepreneurship class. There was a business plan competition. I won the business plan competition. I got seed money to start my first startup. And, you know, with his mentorship of saying, you know, go to these places, talk to these people, shake these hands, meet these people. I learned the value of connections, reaching out to people. And what I was building at that early foundation was, you know what? I'm never going to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm not. I'm never going to be the best. But what I can do 
is work really, really, really hard. And what I tried to work really, really hard in is connecting with people, understanding people, which led me to what we're going to get into in a little bit, because I'm sure it's going to be very valuable for, for, for the audience, which is yep. to me the greatest, I, I will, I will unabashedly say, um, it, it led me to getting introduced to what I think is the greatest field of human research that is very little known. It's got 60 years, tens of thousands of data points that's proven that all humans pass through these predictable stages of development. Each stage in our adult life has different desires, different goals, different fears. And if we can understand the stages, we can understand how to better connect with people. We can understand ourselves more. We can understand what's making us sad, what's making us depressed. We can do something about it. By no means am I saying it's a cure-all for sadness and depression. Depression is a very difficult thing. But the insight into this research, I think, has the power to truly transform our lives. And I became like wildly obsessed with it. I researched everything I could with it. I learned directly from the smartest woman, um, Dr. Suzanne Cook-Greuter, smartest woman alive on the topic, learned directly from her, certified by her, so that I could unlock this in my businesses, in my life. And it's been it's been an amazing ride. And I can't wait to talk about this stuff because I think it's like the greatest stuff on, 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 on the face of the planet. When a guy with your energy and your personality, your disposition is obviously so into something, you can't help but be into it as well. And at the very least, you know, openly curious yeah. about well, adult development theory okay um what is it why should i care uh and you did that from stage in grand rapids and uh, you're gonna i guess do it now so um let me just open it up and hold on where's my there's my little whoosh sound effect as we abruptly change the topic here so what is this adult development theory that we've been dancing around for a little bit here in the episode yeah so it's it's a it's a field of research that actually um codifies it creates a very predictable and sequential stages of human development now the mm -hmm. one that i'm most interested in is called ego development theory adult development theory covers lots of different things so if anyone's ever heard of like maslow's hierarchy of needs that's actually yep. under adult development theory because maslow answers the question what do we need and when right it's a needs-based approach to it we answer the question on the ego development theory side of how do we make sense of the world how do we process the world? Why is it that two people can be in the exact same spot and have two completely different experiences with something, right? Like we always we always go, yeah, you know, I see it one way, you see it one way, this, this is your side, my side, and the truth, and ha ha. But this actually goes, no, this is exactly why you see it this way. This is exactly why someone will be short-sighted and you'll be long-sighted and you wish they would see the bigger picture, but they it seems like they can't. It's the same reason why you can have a conversation with someone give them the exact advice that you know will help them solve their problem, but they won't follow it. And it'll drive you batty until you understand this. You go, oh, I've got to communicate to them differently. And then you actually can start getting the results you want. So it's it's an incredible field of research um, that, and I'll, I'll go very, very quickly into, in the past, we actually believed, like a lot of theorists believe that we stopped developing around 21 years old. So many people are familiar with child development theory. We say things like, is my yep. kid progressing at the same, at the, are they at the right stage, right? Like do they have object permanence and are they doing all the things they're supposed to do when they're younger? Um, and then we thought as, as a society that once you hit like 21, 22, you stop learning 
and you spend the rest of your life getting the most out of the tools that you developed from birth to 21. And in my opinion, that's why things like college, typically undergraduate degree, ends at 21. We, we send you out into the world between 18 and 21 because it's like, you're baked, you're cooked, you're done. Go out there now yeah. and make something of yourself. And what researchers found is like, no, that's ridiculous. Like we continue to evolve and we continue to grow and here's how we do it. And what's fascinating about the overall adult development theory concept is that if you look at any stage theorists around, you can map, even though they're answering different questions, the sequential nature of how we develop, regardless of our gender, regardless of our religion, regardless of our race, regardless of where we're born, whether we're born in like the tribal uh, world in uh, Africa or South America, or we're born in the inner city or the metropolitan area of LA, these stages are exactly the same. So when you understand it, you get almost a, a crystal ball into understanding humans, which is just incredibly powerful. But I, I think it was really interesting when you were on stage, I'm glad you went there with the whole uh, correlation between childhood developments, which we all of us parents out there are keenly aware of exactly how that goes. But if you think about why it is like that, I think maybe it is because when they reach that age, you know, early 20s, most people leave their parents' home somewhere between 18 and 22. You're not studied in quite the same way because when you're at mom and dad's house, you're constantly being watched. You're studied 24-7 like a lab rat almost, and your parents are constantly trying to figure you out and how to motivate you and how to equip you for success in life, and then 21, 22 happens, and suddenly there's no one pushing you. There's no one shoving you in that direction. So it kind of makes sense why you know this stuff is relegated to the realm of, of academics and psychology and researchers like you uh, to help uh, the rest of us figure it out. Mm-hmm. So in, in adolescent development, mm-hmm. there are these stages. Uh, it's very clearly defined, very structural. Yeah. Is it the same way in ADT? Uh, are there stages in adult development theory? Yes. So um, yes, but with a nuance, okay? So the way that child development theory works typically is it's seen more like steps of a staircase, so meaning once you pass one stage, you're into a totally new, brand new stage. You've surpassed. You're no longer dealing with that other stage. Now you're dealing with these other things. What's different about adult development theory, every stage you go into, um, they are predetermined, right? And the ones that are most um, useful that we'll, we'll probably like touch upon in this talk are what's called the conventional stages. So there's pre-conventional, there's conventional, and then there's post-conventional. The conventional stages has four stages in it. It has the self-centric stage. Um, People call it different things. They have number codes, but I think these are easiest to grasp. Um, Self-centric stage, group-centric stage, skill-centric stage, and then the achiever stage, right? So these are the four stages that we will pass through. Now, there's stages before that. There's stages after that. It's a little outside the scope of, I think, what would be helpful to your audience. But the distinction between these four stages is once you go into, say, the self-centric stage where we all start and we move into the group-centric stage, we don't lose the self-centric stage. We can access it when and if we need to. So the best way I can describe it as an analogy so that it makes sense, if I learn how to crawl, then I learn how to walk, then I learn how to run, I don't lose my ability to walk. 
I don't lose my ability to crawl. I just use them when it's necessary. Sometimes I got to go low and get somewhere so I crawl. But primarily, I might walk everywhere because that feels most comfortable. We all have stages Mm. where we feel most, um, what's called our center of gravity, where we're most comfortable. So we make the primary decisions from that stage. But if there's fight or flight or something wild, we can revert to an earlier stage if that's what like we need to to survive that moment. So it's not the same in child development theory where you pass a stage and then you're completely done with it. These stages become nested inside of you. And what's on um, most comfortable is where you make most of your decisions from. So it's it's almost like adding tools to a, a belt in the workshop, huh? And so let me exactly review right. real quick. We've got exactly right. self self centric centric is what I I lost the centric part of it. Yep. Self centric, group centric, yep. skill centric, and then achiever. That's right. That's right. Okay. So what what is uh, what are some of the calling cards or some of the the identifiers of these four stages? I'll, I'll yep. put some handles on this. Yeah, let's do that. So the so this is very important. The first stage, self centric. We all start here, right? So uh, it, it's very common for people who are in later stages to be like, "Oh yeah, I hate people like that." In in in, in any stage they're not currently in. But I just want to give a premise. <laughs> um, we all start here. So like you are here. You're no different yeah. than anyone else. We all start here. Yep. And number one, like I also just like to say humans are very complex, right? We're very complex beings. So these are um, idealizations of the stages. It doesn't mean that there's not nuance because of like personality. So I just want to address that because that's an important thing to give deference to the, the complexity of what it means to be human. But these are typically what you will find, okay? So someone who's self-centric, they see the world as me versus the world, It's me versus everyone else. I'm a one man gang, one woman wolf pack. Like I've got to figure out to do this by myself. No one's here to help me. No one's here to really like give me anything. It's me versus the world. So that's one. Two, we see the world through our self-centric lens as having two selves. I've got my inner self, which is my true authentic self. And I've got my outer self, which is what I use to navigate the world with. So this is the type of person that can like walk up to someone and be very cheery and happy. And then when they leave, be like, oh my gosh, I hate that person, right? Because (laughs) my inner self, my real self knows I can't act like that. I can't act like I hate this person to their face. I'm not going to get the things that I want in life. So your Mm. outer self can act and behave in a way that's completely not congruent with your inner self and you feel no internal conflict whatsoever. It's just the game I gotta play. It's just what I gotta do to make it from day to day. So that's like a very clear example of something that happens in the self-centric stage that really doesn't Mm. happen in the later stages. Hey Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who is it, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. 
Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. And I think there's a certain level of survival instinct and pragmatism that sees that as a necessary evil or even a necessary inconvenience of getting through that situation mm. where you, you don't have the luxury of being egalitarian and going, I really shouldn't speak to that person that way. It's like, you know what, whatever. I got to do what I got to do to get through this and move on. Uh, that maybe you, you grow out of, you know, that, that survivor mentality that is born out of hardship and adversity that maybe as you grow and you progress through some of the stages, not necessarily manifested in quite the same way well what happens as we as we develop right so it's also a measure of um another way to look at stage theory is a measure of maturity right so Mm, there's a level of us when we are in our self-centric stage that says no like yo you just got to play the game man like i got to smile in my boss's face right but then what happens to certain people as we develop through these stages is you start saying you know what who i am on the inside and who i am on the outside it's going to be 100 percent consistent like, and we've gone, we've grown through that, right? Like if we've gone through, if we've grown out of self-centric, one of the things that I didn't mention is yeah. there's something called horizontal growth and vertical growth. This is a very important concept. Horizontal growth means you get better within one stage and you can live and die in one stage and you just get really, really good at that one stage. That's called horizontal growth. Vertical growth is actually when you move between the stages. So what's the distinction between that kind of growth? Horizontal growth changes what we do, what we say, what skills we have. Vertical growth changes how we see the world and how we believe we should be in the world. So someone who's a later stage person might go, how I feel and how I act on the outside, there's no, like, you can film me as much as you want. You're never going to find this secret version of me because who I am is who I am. And someone at an uh, earlier stage, like a skill-centric stage, would be like, man, you crazy. I'm not going to let people actually know what I think and feel because then the world's going to like collapse and like I'm going to say things that people, like society's not built for a guy like me, right? That That's a very common concept that might be more realistic when I, I, I should use air quotes here, realistic to the self-centric stage where someone who's in a later stage would go, why would I ever want to live my life like that? That seems absolutely ridiculous. And that's where the interesting conflict and interesting interactions between stages become so interesting because one person might go, well, that's 100% the way the world is. And then another person will go, that's 100% the way the world isn't. And because of this stage mm. that are in, they're both actually right. And you know, a person who's later on in the development cycle of things maybe in the the group centric phase which we're i'm guessing moving into next mm-hmm. would weigh the the risk versus the reward and decide that being their authentic self is worth potential consequences with certain uh, people in their sphere because the value of being their authentic self is beneficial for the group as a whole that's right. So, am, that, am I on the right track there? Is that where group centric stuff? Very, heads? very close. Very, very close. I'm going to give a little nuance, but you're actually you're absolutely nailing it, right? So, here's what happens in the in the self centric stage. And again, we're just we're just scratching the surface here. There's so much oh, yeah. more to I mean, all of it. We, right? you could have a multiple day easily you know, work, workshop, two or three full days on this. So, yeah. I almost feel like we should apologize to our Freedom Jumper audience for cramming this level of concept we're gonna, we're gonna, into gonna, a 45 minute conversation in, hopefully make it simple to apply okay so 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 absolutely so here we go, here the, we go. It, this is probably a good time for me to pause and say 
When you want more of this later, go to AurelMoody.com or check out his social channels because let me yeah. tell you, the dude's a great follow. Please carry on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So when we're in the you're gonna take a you're gonna take a sip from your drink because you're about to get rolling. I can yeah, tell. Yeah, no, no, I get like it really juiced up about this stuff. We're getting excited, <laughs> right? So when we're when we're self-centric, right? The world is all about me versus the world, me versus the world, me versus the world, right? How do I get ahead? How do I learn what you want so I can use it to get ahead? I want, I want, I want, me, 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 me. It's all me based. Okay. But then what happens is you start going, you know what? No matter how hard I try, I'm never going to get to where I want to get by myself, which is yep. just, just the way the world is. Try to, and then there's a lot of people who goes, I'm a self-made man. It's like, no, you're not. Like there's no such thing no. as a self-made woman. No self-made. It doesn't exist. Right. So yeah, you start realizing exist. I need other people. So that's where group central comes in. Now, here's where it gets fascinating. In self-centric, it's me versus the world. In group-centric, you find a group whose group values become your individual values. Simple example, conservative, liberal. Harley Davidson versus corporate American investment banker, right? Like I just said these words and whether you wanted to or not, you had visuals of these people flash into your mind and there's things they care yep. about things that's important to them we can find groups in religion in um hobby you know have you ever seen someone who's like really into football culture and like their football team is almost them right like if their team loses they genuinely feel like they lost which is a very like uh, uh almost um over uh, example of group centric, but I, I it's almost it. pathological, right? We yeah. all know those people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm doing it to kind of give like an illustration of. It, oh yeah, no, I'm, it's a great example. You're you're pre presenting the extreme of of exactly. this artifact. Exactly. So so what happens in group centric, and, and you were very correct in saying that, like you start moving past it. But what happens is you accept the group's beliefs as your beliefs. So every group has written and unwritten rules. There's things we do and things we don't do. Now, some of them are written, like this is what we believe, and some are, are unwritten. Like it's just, you know, you might have a certain group that says, you know what, we never question our leader. So even if the leader does something stupid, we'll never question them. And that's an unwritten rule. That's not written down in the dogma anywhere, but lots of people will never question an authority figure in certain groups, as an example. So what happens yeah. is we go from me versus the world, this is key, to us versus them. Every group has an us, here's what we think, here's how we act, and there's a them. That's how they do it. So if you ever hear people talk about the they's, they don't want you to know this, they don't want, that's the other. So there's a lot of yep. othering that happens in the group-centric stage where it's like, here's what good, nice, kind people believe, like us, and here's what mean, evil people like them believe. And us versus them becomes very big in the group-centric stage. The, the otherizing, otherizing, the other isms, I, I think is absolutely fascinating. Because yeah. you hit the nail on the head, man. And the, the othering of your counterpart, your ideological antagonist, That's right. is so dangerous. It's the Fox News versus MSNBC thing That's where right. you don't just disagree with your counterpart on merit, on the, the substance of their argument. You ascribe 
you know, vilify. evil you vilify. to them. You vilify, thank you, that's yeah. a great word. You vilify your counterpart and think that you, by essence of your belief system, are morally and ethically superior to your counterpart. That's right. I mean, how, how dysfunctional for society at, as a whole. Yeah. I'd love to hear about the what the next level is. How do we move from, because skill-centric skill is the third one, right? Yeah. So what happens in group-centric is, in the group-centric stage, you learn everything about how the group works, what their philosophies are, what their things are, and they become yours. But this is what starts happening. It's very complex um, for the individual when you go through it, but very um, almost... Um, Routine is not the right word, but it's common. It's common, right? You start saying, I love my group. I love my group, but you know what? I can't be like everyone else. I don't want to be just another, like, I don't want to be just another insurance agent. Like, there's, there's, there's a time where someone goes, you know what? I want to be an independent insurance agent. I'm going to make a jump and run my own. And you're like, yeah. And then you find your, like, group of people, your community, other, but then you start going, oh, look at those, like, Look at those million dollar club people. Ooh, I want to be with them. That's the people I want to be with. Or you go, look at the people who have multiple offices or look at the people who are like, you know, golfing six months out of the year and their like book of business is just, ooh, that's what I really want. And I realize I can't be like everyone else. So what you do is you start developing a very specific skill. You start developing something that will become actually your identity. Yourself goes from self, me versus the world, to group, us versus them, to my skill is me. So you start developing a very specific skill set. Maybe you become the best salesperson. Maybe you become the best manager. Maybe you become the best. And this is the person that you see. I'll give you a caricature of this person. I'm going to give you a caricature, right? Have you ever had a person that you work with that they say everyone else is dumb? Oh, well, you don't know how to do this because clearly they didn't think about X, Y, and Z. Everyone is such an idiot because if they knew their stuff, they would know that this wouldn't work. So they're, they're very critical of other people because they built such a large skill that they actually have a little patience for people who haven't built that same skill without actually realizing that's just the skill that you happen to build. So you're critical of people yeah in your skill, but you know what? There's a billion things you're actually not good at, whether you think you're good at it or not, that other people are. But when we're skill-centric, we love the nuance. Like, I wanna get better at every, like, you you can't force me to learn more about my skill because I love it so much. That's hmm. skill-centric stage. I wanna pause for a second before we go to Achiever, hmm. uh, the, the fourth, the, the nirvana of the four stages, hmm. if you will. Because the skill stage, I want to get your take on the way that this interacts with the, the identity of an entrepreneur, of an, an agency principal, the kind of person who doesn't just start an agency because they want to, because they want control and they want to have their name on the door. They, you know, all, all of that. that that's an, another conversation entirely. The most effective people that I have come, you know, and, and met over the years they recognize complementary skills in other people and there's a certain amount of self-awareness that goes, you know what, I'm really, really good at this small number of things. Mm -hmm. And in order for me to achieve my goals, yep. which are huge, massive goals, the, the successful entrepreneur recognizes qualities and character traits and skills in other people and then actively recruits them mm -hmm. to come join the mission 
because they're different, because the skills that they possess are not lock, stock, and barrel, what the, the agency principal or the entrepreneur is, you know, my office here at RiskWall is a perfect example. Addie, our operations manager, has a very different personality and skill set than I do. Mm -hmm. uh, Jennifer, who's our, our commercial uh, risk advisor, same. And the people that I've been fortunate enough to invite on mission, they're Every single one of them are noticeably different than me. Yeah. But the main reason why I, I attribute most of my professional success to my ability to find and you know bring these people onto the team, and a lot of it's because I recognize their skill set and their personalities are complementary to my own, and I need that to achieve my professional goals. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. I don't have to explain the achiever stage because you just explained it. <laughs> Oh, dude, did I just steal your fourth stage? No, I'm sorry. This is, no, this is this is the beauty of it. You're seeing this, right? You're, you're literally, whether you realized it or not, you just saw your movement into the achiever stage. Okay, self-centric. How do I make a bunch of money? I'm a lost 22-year-old. I'm thinking around. I got to figure it out. Oh, this insurance agents. These are going to be my people. I'm going to learn how to do this really thing. I'm going to build this skill to grow my business and be really successful. You know what? And this is a big thing with skill-centric. It doesn't matter how skilled I am, which is the truth. You can't do it all. Skill-centric says, watch me. That's what skill-centric says. Oh, you think I can't do it all? Watch me do it all. And then you burn out and then you realize you can't do it all. And then you start saying, you know what? If I want to achieve the goals I want to achieve, I got to actually start enlisting people yeah. who have different skills, complementary skills, much better than me at certain things. And then, and this is where it gets fascinating. You don't need the um, praise in the achiever stage. Yeah, you, you you could be like, I don't even care if anyone knows like all the stuff I'm doing. I want my people to win. I'm the leader yeah. who wants the people, and if they win, I win, and I'm good. Where someone in an earlier stage. You know, I'm sure, you know, James, if I said, oh, my gosh, James, I'm going to give you a plaque, an award about how you're so cool. You'd be like, oh, thank you very much. But like, it's really the team. Like, we should be like, let's bring them on stage. Like, I don't want that individual honor because my like, that's an achiever mindset where skill centric like, yeah, look at my skill. I was rated the most outstanding, you know, carpenter in, in all of Missouri, you know, like, isn't that the greatest yeah. thing where an achiever goes, no, my team is why we're so great. Like, so it's a different way of approaching the same thing. I love it, man, because that goes back to properly valuing effort and hours. It, because at the end of the day, and I recognize that this is something that only people with money say, the longer I live this life, the more I realize that money is just a tool and chasing money is a fool's errand when time is the real treasure. Mm. Because no matter who you are or how rich you are, you can't beg, borrow, steal, or, or barter for one more second of time. So tra you know, earlier in life, and it sounds like you were probably the same way, almost everyone is, you're perfectly happy to trade hours for dollars. But then at a certain point, you start recognizing, wait a second, my hours are precious. I can't get any more hours. Every hour that I spend at the office is an hour that I'm not present with my kids at home. My son gets home from school at three and he had his little promotion thing from kindergarten today. And he asked me, because we had the option of taking him out of school early and let, you know, taking a half day. He goes, hey, so-and-so in my class is going with their dad. Are you taking me home early? And I'm like, I can't today, buddy. I'm sorry. I have things I have to do. And it's like, it was just another reminder of, 
wherever we are with our time, we are choosing to not be everywhere else. Literally everywhere else. I'm not on the golf course right now. I'm not with my kid right now. I'm here talking with you because I choose to spend this block of time with you. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, that's something that the achiever does that the other three groups don't do because the achiever has realized the only way I can get where I want to go, I have to leverage someone else's hours with a different skill set, complementary personality and skills, because without their hours, I'm limited. I'm tapped out. I'm capped out. I can't go past here if it's just me. In order for me to get past this little ceiling right here, I have to have other people, or else I'll never get past it. So, so that what you just, so there's something called a growth edge. So every stage, when you move vertically from one stage to the next, there's something called a growth edge. There's a there's a realization that you must have that will move you. Now, how do you get that realization? Lots of different ways, good ways, bad ways. But what you just said is the growth edge between skill-centric and achiever. Skill-centric goes, it doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how many hours I work. I can't get to this goal. So therefore, I need to enlist other people. Now, here's where it gets also really interesting. Skill-centric, one of the distinctions between skill-centric and achiever is skill-centric does things in the name of becoming better at the skill. So goals are important, but directly connected to my input with my skill, right? So if I learn how to, for example, oh, I, you know, I've never done flood. I'm going to learn everything about flood. I'm trying to impress you with my insurance knowledge here. I'm not insurance. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, man. I'm trying to impress you. With that. So I don't know yeah. if I'm failing. So everyone listening, I'm trying to impress you. I hope I've succeeded, but it sounds like I could be failing, right? So no, I'm get in the dude, flood, you, right? you've already dropped enough jargon to make all the wonks happy. No, go, go on. <laughs> so let's say I want to get in a flood and I learn everything about flood. And I go, I, I find out all the places that flood is going to be like where, where the, I study weather patterns and I go like, oh my gosh, no one knows Houston, Texas is about to need a whole lot of flood. I'm going to start selling everyone now and you know, and I'm making all this up, right? So <laughs> you, you you start going like, yeah, oh, I'm going to build it. But then you start going, you know what? It doesn't matter if I do it. I don't have to be yeah. the one that's making the calls, closing the deals. I want to empower yeah. other people. What skill centric can't do that achiever can do. Oh, well, can and can is a strong word. Typically what skill centric will not be willing to do is if they delegate, they take back. They don't like delegating. Because at skill-centric, we say this phrase, nobody can do it as good as me. Yeah. Achiever stage goes 80% of me times five is better than 100% of me times one. And that's a big distinction between mm. those two stages. But you've got to realize, you know, and again, there are a lot of skill-centric people that are actually getting what they want out of life. So there's no need to move to the next stage. I'm I'm yeah. cranking at 80 hours a week and I love it. So why change? There's no reason to. Um, but yeah. if you start going, yeah, I don't want to miss my kids thing anymore and I don't want to do this anymore, then you've got to start going, well, who do I get involved? So it's it's not what do I do better, it's who do I need to become better. It's a very different mindset. Love it. Are you good if we put a bow on that? I, I got a couple of questions I want to end the episode Absolutely, with and I'm going to hand you the I'm, mic I'm and here you can for you and your whatever people, you want. James, I'm here for you and your people. Man, I just know that that's, it feels like a nice pivot point because I feel like that, that concept area was, was covered nicely. And I promised you an hour, you agreed to give an hour and I'm going to use the next 10 minutes or so, if that's all right. Of course. Just indulging my curiosity, 
tell the White House story. You told me in the hallway of the 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 Grand Plaza in Michigan. The White House story, and then I, give me some little tidbit or or nibble yeah. of the TEDx world because I, I was invited to to be a TEDx speaker. Yeah. The timing didn't work out, so I was wasn't able to get on that stage. Sure, I'd, I take I will have that opportunity at some point in the future, and I'll I look forward to being a TEDx speaker because it's just so cool. It is cool. The eighteen minutes format. I love it. I, I'm borderline obsessed with the whole Ted thing. So tell the White House story and then tell me a Ted story, man, and then we can get out of here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So here's how the White House story worked. Back in 2011, under the um, Obama administration, there was something called the Small Business Act. I don't know if anyone remembers that, mm-hmm. but um, we were just coming out of the 2008 um, financial debacle. You know, We were in a huge recession, the Great Recession, as it was called. So what that administration um, chose to do was say, the way out of this is small business. We need to um, encourage more small business, fund more small business, and showcase more small business. Now, it just so happened that I was the owner of a company called the Extreme Entrepreneurship Tour. And what we've been doing since like 2009, right? And I had two incredible founders at the time, and then um, I became one of the owners, and then we added another wonderful owner as well is we were going around to college campuses, high schools all over the country, bringing entrepreneurs under the age of 30 who were built, sold, or made a million dollars in their business and showcasing them to young people to say, entrepreneurship is a viable career path. Now, here's what's wild about this. In 2009, 2010, nobody knew what entrepreneurship was. There were no majors in entrepreneurship. There was like one college that had an entrepreneurship major and there was always jokes like, Oh, my son is unemployed, also known as an entrepreneur, right? Like Mm. now entrepreneurship is ubiquitous. It's celebrated. It's loved. But back then, you, you know, college, it was doctor, lawyer, engineer. And our vision was to make entrepreneurship as viable as a career path as doctor, lawyer, engineer was. So we would do these tours all over the country. Now, what was fascinating about it is we happen to pretty much be the only game in town that was bringing successful entrepreneurs to young people consistently, like with a track record of doing it, not someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm sure I could do that too. We've been doing it years before. So when you hmm. Googled youth entrepreneurship or encouraging entrepreneurship, we were one of the few people that actually popped up. So hmm. because of their small business act, they were like, we wanna encourage more young people to get into entrepreneurship. Who's the best person to do? Who's the best group to do that? Cause like, we're not the experts in it. And they found us. So they reached out to us and said, hey, we have this idea. We're not really sure what we want to do. So we created something called the Impact 100s. Um, it was Entrepreneurial Impact. And it was awarding, giving an award to the top 100 entrepreneurs in our country under the age of 30. And um, we organized the event with the White House. We brought all these incredible young entrepreneurs to the White House so they can talk about their stories, talk about their businesses, you know, advocate mm. for what they needed and wanted. And I got to um, speak at the White House and then give these awards out to um, these incredible folks. So that that's how it happened. I wish there was like a, I had this vision of getting in with the White House and it happened. It was, it was more of an honor than it was a strategic mm. uh, imperative. Man, what a cool experience for you uh, to have the the story, mm-hmm. the upbringing that you do to to leave the projects and have this amazing career, and then the fact that it happens in the White House of the first black president in the history of our country. I mean, it, you you said it earlier, it, the mentors and people 
in positions of accomplishment and authority that look like you, that sound like you. Right. It just it resonates so much to to your story. What a cool experience for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was. I'm really I mean, happy for you, man. That's so yeah, awesome. It, by far, you know, if if anyone asks you like, what are crowning achievements that you're most proud of? Like after you say your children, um, the White House is like next. Whew. Yeah, it, if for anyone who's fortunate to be invited to the White House, and then you were invited back a second time, yeah. so you were a two-time White House speaker, yeah. so air five for that one, my man. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like TEDx just got the shaft because it has to follow a White House story. No, no, uh, the TEDx but, is, yeah, is what's, what's the deal with TEDx? All right, so, I, so I've spoken on the TEDx stage three times, so I'll tell you how it came about. And again, um, one of them was extremely intentional, and the other two was by invitation. Okay, so um, here's a little like TEDx truism that people may or may not know because I'm surprised how many people don't know this. My very first TEDx talk, I was invited to speak at it. Someone, it was it was just crazy how it happened to happen. I had spoken at this college years ago, years ago, and one of the students was truly impacted by my speech. Years later. He's organizing a TEDx and he goes, there was this guy that spoke to me like five years ago when I was in mm. college and he was awesome. I wonder if we can get him. And he, you know, reaches out to me on social media and I'm like, dude, of course, like who's going to say no to that? Thank you so very much. So that was um, someone in my audience eventually organized one and reached out to me. Now, once mm. I got the first one, which was like the dream, I started going, I wonder if I could get another, right? I wonder if I could get another. Um, and the reason why I wanted to get the other is because the first one that I did, they were like, here's the theme of what we want to do. I'd love for you to share, you know, your big idea. And I said, okay, cool. But then I wanted to like find one where I can talk a little bit about something that I really wanted to talk about at that time in my life, but didn't really fit the theme of that particular TEDx. So on the TED website, if you go to ted.com slash TEDx, right? And I think that's what the URL is. If that's not the URL, yep. I'm sure it'll auto-correct you to the right place. It actually has a list of all of the TEDx events that are happening, okay? So what I did is I said, where are the TEDx's happening within a two to three hour radius of my home? Does that exist? Turns out there happened to be one being planned right in my backyard, right? Like right in my hometown. It was coming months in the future. So I go to their website and they had a button that said, apply to be a speaker. And I said, well, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to, you know, as Alexander Hamilton said, not going to throw away my shot. Not throwing away my shot, away baby. My shot. Okay. So, so literally, yeah. <laughs> if you actually go on that website and see TEDx events that are happening in the future, some TEDx, not all, have a call for speakers, apply to speak. It's a very rigorous process. You have to submit what you're going to talk about, um, provide video, you get interviewed typically more than once. And then if you're selected, they give you um, a slot to speak. So, so that one was extremely intentional with how I went after getting it. Um, but the first one, just the, the beginning of it happened just because someone was in the stage who heard me speak and years later happened to be organizing one. You were right. It is ted.com slash TEDx. And uh, yeah, it looks like there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's, te there's te TEDx events are happening all over the world, all over the world. So if anyone is like, oh my gosh, I'd love to do a TED Talk, that's where you start, right? Now, there's a lot of other steps that go into it. But if you're like, hey, I live in you know Saginaw, uh, Michigan, and there's a TEDx coming to Saginaw, Michigan like in eight months, 
That would be a really, like, they don't do, like, you're not going to find a TEDx event that's happening in a month and think you're going to speak at it. They, they are extremely yeah. organized, extremely, they plan. So you got to find something that's far in the future. But a lot of websites have apply to speak. Now, if they don't have apply to speak, there's typically an email or a contact form somewhere on their website. So you just reach yep. out to them and go, hey, Joe, I'm curious if you finalize your speaker roster. Could you, you know, how do I make myself considered? And they will either say, yes, we finalized it, or here's how you submit. And then it's up to that particular planning committee to confirm whether they want to pursue you or not. But you can actively go after it if you know the little, we'll call it gem that I just shared, if it's a gem. Yep. Yeah. And for people that want to advance their credentials, if you want to call it that, that's some great tactical insight, man. We're, we're almost to that hour mark. I want to hand you the mic, Arell. Talk about anything you want. If there's a promotion, if there's a, an announcement of some kind, or any any final thoughts, whatever you want to do, man, the stage is yours. Yeah, well, I, well one, I appreciate the time. What I would say to everyone who's listening, um, number one, if you, you have any questions about this, I love talking about this. I do lots of, obviously, speaking engagements, professional developments, and trainings around the subjects. I really like it. But if you're just super curious about it, I'm the only Arell Moody in the entire world. Literally, if you put my name into Google or any social media account, I'm the only one that pops up. So feel free, you know, LinkedIn is probably my most favorite uh, social media site right now because it has all the pluses of social media and none of the negative. Think about that. LinkedIn should be a fun playground for you. So I love LinkedIn personally. Yep. Um, also, you're going to see in the show notes a link. It's going to say talk.ac slash moody. Okay. Talk.ac slash moody. That is a feedback form. I'd love to know your thoughts on this podcast, if it was helpful, um, if it was useful. And you're going to see a code. If you use the code FREEDOM when you give your feedback as a thank you for giving me your thoughts on uh, this particular podcast, I'll go ahead and give you a summary of adult development theory, the stages that we talked about, some information that we didn't get to cover as well. Um, I'm constantly trying to get better at what I do and provide as much value as I can. So if you go to talk.ac slash Moody, again, the link will be in the show notes. If you use the code FREEDOM, um, give me your feedback in that quick um, feedback flow. And then as a thank you for giving me your feedback, I'll give you a summary of a five-minute video and a one-page video explaining the stuff that we covered here that you can use as you continue to go through your journey of being an awesome human being. Love it. And that is talk.ac slash Moody, and that's M-O-O-D-I-E on the end, not Y for those of you... Uh, that are listening to this and not just clicking the link in the show notes. But, uh, what a, an interesting episode, man. I really appreciate you sharing some of your valuable time, Arel. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. And I don't know when we'll ever cross paths again in person, but I will certainly see you in the comments section on your LinkedIn and I look forward to engaging with you further, my man. Thanks so much for your uh, time, That's bro. it for this episode, boys and girls. Make it a great day and we'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. 
Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.